Right. As uh, I think most of you all know by now, uh, this is going to be our uh, last study for the year in our Why Do We Believe What We Believe series. And then we'll break for the holidays. Uh, and in contemplating what we might discuss today, I thought it appropriate to discuss something with a, with a Christmas tie to it, since we're breaking for the holidays. Whenever Christmas rolls around, I like to encourage people to think about Christmas a little bit deeper than they have in the past. And, and what we tend to, to, to think about at Christmas as well, yes, uh, Santa Claus and, and presents. Uh, and then if we take it a step beyond that and tell ourselves, no, I, I'm going to really think about the real meaning of Christmas this year. Uh, we tend to think about the, the birth of Jesus, the baby Jesus in the manger and the wise men and the announcement from the angels. And, uh, and that's a great step forward in contemplating uh, what the, the real meaning of Christmas is. But, but I want to ask you to go one step beyond that even. Uh, yes, Christmas is when we observe the birth of Jesus. But I want to back you up one step before that and contemplate the mechanics behind the birth of Jesus. Because do you realize just the miracle, the miracle, uh, and contemplate that, the miracle it is that, that Jesus was born, okay? Remember what it is that you and I confess, not just that Jesus was a good moral person. We don't even confess that Jesus, what well, we do confess that, that Jesus was a, was a perfect moral person. Uh, we confess that, yes, but, but that's not only what we confess. We don't, we don't only confess that he was a good teacher, uh, but that he was all those things and we say he was the son of God. Jesus was the son of God. And again, let, let's, let's even contemplate what we mean by son of God. As the, the Nicene Creed says, he is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the father. Okay? So you see what we're confessing here. We're confessing that Jesus, God incarnate, Jesus is God incarnate. Okay? Uh, it, so it, it, it's, uh, it, it's not enough to just say, yeah, he was born. We first have to say, how in the world did that happen? How did we get God in the flesh? God in the flesh. And that's what I want to think about today. How, how was it that we're able to have and contemplate and even, and even behold God in the flesh? Okay. I'm going to start with a story that I'm sure I, I, I know many of you have heard before, especially if you've uh, heard me speak about Christmas. I, I tend to, to bring this one around. But back when I was much younger, like in the 1980s, uh, life was different. If my family and I ever sat down uh, to watch a movie on the VCR, right, uh, almost and always inevitably, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we, wanted to, we wanted to have some popcorn or something like that. To that day, that still holds true in our house. So whenever my family now will sit down to watch a movie, it inevitably happens that it's not even at the beginning of the movie. My, my son is here and he'll, he'll tell you that there's always a break. There's always an intermission, maybe about 20 minutes into the movie, right when you're starting to get used to the, oh, what's happening here? Intermission they call for because they want to go get some popcorn and they'll use the microwave to make popcorn. And inside of five minutes, they'll have their bags of cop popcorn and, and we can then resume the movie. Now, when I was a kid, we did not have microwave popcorn. I don't know why it took them so long to invent this, but our way of, of, of making popcorn was much more difficult and complicated, all right? How many of you ever pop popcorn with a hot air popper? How many of you still pop with a hot air popper? Anybody? No. You still have one though, right? Yeah. 
Okay, the hot air popper. It was effectively a hair dryer turned upside down that you'd sprinkle seeds uh, on, right? That's how, you, that's how you made popcorn back in the day. You'd pour kernels in, they'd dance around for a little while and they'd start to pop. And inside a few minutes, you'd have this giant bag of popcorn. But here's the catch. Uh, my, my dad and I had this down to a science too. We had a, we had a full system on how we made popcorn. But uh, when you use the hot air popper, it's unbuttered right? It's unbuttered. Now, my dad, again, we had this down to a science. While, while, while I monitored the kernel popping, my dad would melt the butter on the stovetop. We could have melted it in the microwave, but no, we decided we had to melt it on the stovetop. And we would probably use stick and a half, two sticks of butter. Because, <laughs> because especially in the 1980s, butter didn't matter. You know, butter, wasn't, butter didn't affect you. What's that? Dairy. It was dairy, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it didn't hurt you. So, so right as the kernels finished popping, my dad was ready with the butter. We'd pour it all on the pot. And I had this giant, the, the paper shopping bags that used to get the grocery store. So we'd have it full and I would shake it like this while my dad poured the, the, the butter over there. And then once we were done, we had this giant hefty bag size of popcorn to split between the two of us. And it was awesome. And it tasted much better than any of the stuff you get out of a microwave bag. But, but anyway, once in a while, we'd get the idea, hey, let's go make popcorn. And we'd get so excited. We'd start gathering all the ingredients. We'd get them, get out the giant bowl. He'd get out the popper. I'd get the kernels and start scientifically measuring out exactly how many kernels I'd need for the, 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 the popper. And, uh, and then once in a while, we'd go to the fridge and get the block of butter only to discover there was no butter. And then the night is ruined. Okay, because of course, of course, you know, we tried alternatives, but what if we just ate it without butter? Ridiculous. Oh. No, you can't do that. You can't, that's ridiculous, right? Ridiculous. What's popcorn without butter? Plus it was made in a hot air popper. It would kind of dry out the, uh, the kernels, you know, the, the, so you had to have some butter uh, on there, you know, because if you just ate them as they were, it was like eating packing peanuts, okay? <laughs> So how about this one? Out of butter, use margarine. Have you ever tried to use margarine instead of butter on popcorn? Horrible. Don't try it. Do you know why margarine was invented? To frustrate people. That's it. That's why they did it. Te no, technically, the, the French were trying to invent a cheap and stable substitute for butter. And in my personal opinion, they failed. Uh, you, you can't have a cheap and stable substitute for butter. You can have substitutes for butter, but they can't be cheap. That's just my own scientific findings. So all that to say, if you don't have butter, the whole night was ruined. And, and we could go on about this. I'm sure we can go on about other things too. If you don't have chocolate chips, you can't make a good cookie. Uh, if, you, if you don't have a hot dog, you can't have the actual hot dog, right, Tracy? If you only have the bun, that's not a real hot dog, right? Uh, and uh, take one, one, one ingredient away, one ingredient away. We were talking about pies earlier today. What's apple pie without the apples? If you're out of apples, you can't make apple pie. So let's bring this back around to Christmas. That was a long setup, I know. <laughs> Two of the essential components that must exist if we're gonna have God incarnate, okay? Two essential components that we must have. Let me read for you the account. You'll find this in the uh, book of Luke, chapter one, verse 30 and following. I'm gonna put it up here for you all to see too if you don't have your, your Bibles with you or your mobile devices. I'm gonna read it right here. Luke uh, 1, 30 and following. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Remember, we're looking for two essential components here. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give uh, to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, 
and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I paused at the two components. Okay, that's your hint. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy, the son of God. So did you catch the two ingredients? What, what do you think the two ingredients I was looking for there were? Holy Spirit and virgin birth. Okay, again, we're contemplating Christmas here. Okay, Mary said, how can this be since I'm a virgin? That's the first component. We need, we're gonna have God incarnate, all right, we need a virgin birth. And the second, second component, the response to Mary's question, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's the second point, conceived of the Holy Spirit. We studied the Apostles' Creed not too long ago, and those are two things that they highlight in the Apostles' Creed, born of the Virgin Mary. No, that's uh, uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, okay? And it specifically highlights those two things in the, in the Apostles' Creed, okay? Now, here's the thing. If you take one of those two elements away, if you take one of those two elements away, if you take just one ingredient out, believe it or not, the whole gospel falls apart. The whole gospel falls apart. I've heard it said and even argued by some theologians throughout history that it doesn't matter how Jesus came into the earth. It only matters what he did when he was on earth. Let me tell you right off the bat, unequivocally false. False. Okay? Why, does, why, why is being conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary such a big deal? Why does it matter? Okay? That's what we're going to try and figure out here. Uh, let, let, me, let me back up a bit to answer the question uh, as to why the manner of Jesus' conception matters so much. A few, few years ago, even before the Apostles' Creed study, we did a, a survey through the Old Testament. And one of the points I tried to make every time we studied anything in the Old Testament, any time I ever study anything in the Old Testament, I'll, you'll hear me say this, okay, is that what does the Old Testament point us to? Every, Jesus said, this himself, said it so himself in, in Luke 24, every psalm, Every narrative, every law, every, every uh, um, uh, uh, prophecy, it all points us to Jesus. It all points us to Jesus, okay? Every law, every psalm, every story, it all points to Jesus. That's what, Luke, uh, that's what Jesus told us in Luke 24. It all points to me. So if all of it, the entirety of the Old Testament points us to Jesus, let me plant this question in your mind right here at the top of our time, all right? How does Adam point us to Jesus, Okay. Start thinking about that. How does Adam point us to Jesus? Okay, think about that. Um, I'll tell you how, but I first want to talk about how the Old Testament sacrifices point us to Jesus. And in the back of your mind, start thinking through Adam too. So when we read about sacrifices, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, people will think, uh, if I could say incorrectly, that the Old Testament sacrificial system was a means for making up for the sins that you committed. All right. If you sinned, well, okay, now you have to make a sacrifice to make up for it, to atone for it. And once you did that, well, then you were back on good terms with God. Okay. And well, that's, that's what God tried for a while and it wasn't working out. So we had to come up with another plan, right? That's, that's kind of the narrative that goes along with, and, and that's where Jesus comes in. Okay. We'll see that. Oh, that's not quite right. The sacrifices of the old Testament point towards the ultimate sacrifice that was to come. That's what every sacrifice in the Old Testament pointed us to. Not, not that they were effectual in and of themselves. Not that that was a recipe of some kind to remove sin, but they pointed us toward the one who would actually and effectively remove sin. Okay, Every Old Testament sacrifice foreshadowed the sacrifice of Christ. That one day, 
the perfect sacrifice would come and remove your sins from your account, so to speak, right? It's not that the animals in the Old Testament took away your sin, it's that they pointed to the one who would. Every Old Testament sacrifice pointed us to that. And the, at the most basic level of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament said this, it was God's way of saying, I, I am going to provide for you something that will sacrifice its own life to pay for, to make atonement for the sins that you have committed. Okay. You see, sin represents death, right? The result and consequence of sin is death. This is why the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, right? And to balance out the perfectly, uh, and to, to perfectly balance out the, the, the scales of, of God's justice, sin must needs be paid for through life. Sin is painful. Sin is costly. Okay. So when you, when you, in the old Testament, when you brought your sacrifice uh, to God, it had to be an actual sacrifice. It had to cost you something. Uh, so, so you couldn't just bring the runt of the litter. You couldn't bring the leftovers, right? You couldn't bring the three-legged sheep. You couldn't bring the mad cow. You had to bring the best, the, the best of the best, right? Uh, it had to be an animal. Uh, the Bible describes it as sacrifice without blemish. It had to be the best of the best. Deuteronomy 17.1 says this. You shall not sacrifice the Lord your God. Let me move this out of the way. An ox or a sheep in which is a blemish. Any defect, what, what, I think it's supposed to be whatsoever, whatever. Uh, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. See that? That's the, number one, that's the number one thing you have to, to, to realize when we contemplate the virgin birth. Start thinking about that. The sacrifice, the Old Testament sacrifice, which remember pointed to the ultimate once and for all sacrifice of the New Testament, had to be without blemish or defect. It had to be perfect. If you don't sacrifice without blemish or defect, you don't have a sacrifice. Okay? So that's the first thing we need to make sure we understand about the virgin birth and the, the conception of the Holy Spirit. So we need a sacrifice without blemish. We need a sacrifice without blemish. Okay, let me ask you all another question. How many of you all uh, hold to a strict policy about um, the expiration dates on food? Like for instance, <laughs> if, the, if the milk says expires November 18, and today is November 18, do you drink it? You smell it first. <laughs> you smell it first. How many of you, how many, without even smelling it, have no problem drinking that? Anyone? Anyone? You? But do you get a little nervous when you, <laughs> it doesn't bother you at all? Another week, at least another week past uh, um, ex expiration. I'm going to spread this out a little bit. Look at that. Wee. Well, okay. Maybe you're not biting on uh, spoiled milk. This is a, uh, this is a, <laughs> Let me hit you with this one. I know I've shared this with you before too. Uh, some, at least some of you, it's kind of gross, but again, since you're not biting on the milk, I got to use this one. Uh, back when I was young, perhaps uh, the age that my children are now, uh, 12, 14, somewhere in there. I think I was 13, as a matter of fact. I would ask my mother if I could see certain movies that I knew my classmates were seeing, okay? And uh, my mom drew a pretty hard line. If it was rated R, don't, don't even bother asking. Don't even bother asking her. Okay, I had no chance of seeing a movie that was rated R. Forget about it. Well, right around the time I turned 13, that's when they came out with the classification PG-13, okay? And I remember the very first movie 
that they made was a movie called Red Dawn and all my friends were seeing it and I wanted to see it, PG-13. And my mom was like, what's this PG-13? Well, it, it just means, you, you know, you should be 13 before you see it. And I am near 13 at least. Why is it rated PG-13? What is PG-13? How is PG-13 different than PG? You know, I explained to her, well, it just, it just probably has some extra cuss words in it, or it probably had just has some extra, you know, vulgarity. And, and that's, that's really not, that's not a really big deal, right? Um, well, some swear words are okay. Is that what you're trying to tell me? My mom would say, yeah, what's wrong with a few swear words? No big deal. And tell my mom, come on, mom, it's just a few swear words. No big deal. And she would tell me this. Okay. Son, let's just say you're thirsty and I offer you some water. Would you drink that water? And I would say, of course I would. She says, okay, now let's just assume that I give you that glass of water and I put one drop of urine in it. Do you still want it? <laughs> Checkmate mom. <laughs> Checkmate. Uh, just like for most of you, it completely grossed me out too. Uh, her point was, it doesn't take much to ruin something good, right? It doesn't take much to ruin something good, even if it's just a little bit. And now, and now the whole thing is ruined with just one little drop of something disgusting, right? Uh, it's all tainted. You see, this is the universal problem that faces humanity, okay? We're all tainted. We're all infected with sin. In fact, this may come as a surprise to you, but when you look at a newborn baby, it's hard to think about it. It's hard to imagine, but that little newborn baby is tainted by sin. Absolutely is. It absolutely is. David in Psalm, one, uh, 50, excuse me, Psalm 51, 5 says this. He laments this fact. He says this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. What David is suggesting before he was even born. Before he was even born, he was tainted by sin. He wasn't even out of his mother's womb, and he was infected by sin's curse. And then Paul goes a little bit deep, in more detail uh, how Adam tainted the entire batch, the whole batch of humanity. Okay, so this is Romans 5, 12 and following. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so the death spread to all men because all sin. Listen to that. Hear that again. Death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was even given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Do you see what he's saying there? This is what he's saying. He's saying that... Uh, noting the fact that even before there was a law to break, even before there was a law to break, sin was in us. Sin entered the world through Adam and now the whole batch is ruined. It's, it's all bad. It's a universal problem. Okay. It's a deep rooted problem. It's not like, it's not like you made it 23 days into your life and then you sinned, right? Oh, I had a good streak going there. 23 days, right? And then I blew it. Before you're even aware before you were even aware of, of what was right and what was wrong, you were infected by sin. Before you were even born, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting this is something genetic, okay? I'm not suggesting this is something genetic, but what I am suggesting is that Adam was your federal representative. Adam was your, it's, we, this is how we think of our government, okay? Adam, when, when, when you go to Congress, when you, have, when you elect officials, they act as your federal representative. They act on behalf of you. Adam was your federal representative. He represented you. He perfectly represented you and, and stood in your place. And through that representation, sin was passed along, you know, or, or hear this word, he was, sin was imputed to you, all right? 
So there, there's point number two, as we contemplate the virgin birth, every single human being since Adam has been infected with sin and there's no way around it. Again, it's not like we had a few humans hanging around, you know, that, uh, that made a valiant effort and made it oh, seven months. They went seven months and then they sinned. No, no, before, before even born, all of us have been infected by sin's curse. All right. So I'm putting up these points up here one at a time. Uh, we need a sacrifice without blemish. This is what the Bible tells us. And that sin is passed to us from before birth. All right. Do you see the problem that we're starting to face here? You see how point two is directly impacted by point one. If the sin, if, if the, if the sacrifice for sin must be perfect, if it must be perfect. If it must be without blemish, how do you do that? If sin is passed along to us from inside, even when we're in the womb, we're all born with no chance, right? Of keeping a clean record. You're, you get it in the womb. even. You're infected by sin. So, and if we need a perfect sacrifice, like the Old Testament tells us, pointing forward to Jesus, we need a perfect sacrifice. How do we do that? How do we get a perfect representative for us who is fully God, fully man, and do it without sin? How do we do that? All right? As somewhat of an aside, here's really, uh, here's really the only reason that we need uh, to, um, uh, that makes the idea of a virgin birth essential. And it's reflected in the practice uh, and I'm trying, especially mindful of lately, as my kids get older, sometimes my kids will ask for something, we'll tell them no. The scene just played out, I think it was last night even. The kids wanted to stay up longer uh, than they normally go to bed. And Jack was, my, he was just pleading, Can we just come on and stay up a little longer. We want to watch one show. That's it. Just went and Tracy must have said no a thousand times. A thousand times, I said, please, come on. If I just do this, you know, but here's the thing. My kids, they, they ask to stay up later and then they are terrible humans in the, in the morning. <laughs> we have to scrape them out of bed because they're so tired because they stayed up too long. And even though they promise sometimes, you know, we, we'll be good, we'll be good in the morning. And they're not, <laughs> they're, they're angry in the morning. They don't they wanna to go to school, they're, they're tired. And, and so that's the kicker. So, so we tell them you gotta to go to bed on time. Uh, if you went to bed and, uh, and, and, uh, and you, you said, hey, listen, you gotta to go to bed because you're, they, don't, they don't hear it. They don't wanna hear it. They wanna be up. Okay. And so once in a while, you know, we, we tell them, uh, you, you got to go, you got to go to bed. Why? You know why? Because I said so. Just because I said so. That's enough. That should be enough. And whether it's for, for bed or for anything else, sometimes that's the explanation you give your kids because I said so. You, it, that's the end of the discussion, right? And, and, uh, and so is, is the virgin birth necessary and essential? Yes, yes. As we've noted, the whole system falls apart without it. And to that, plain and simple, just because he said so, he prophesied about it, that it had to be a virgin birth. And so therefore, by the word of God alone, it has to be a virgin birth, right? All the way back in Isaiah, hundreds of years before Christ, Isaiah the prophet told us this in, in Isaiah 7, uh, verse 14. He said, therefore, the Lord himself will give to you a sign. Behold, now that's an important word there, will give to you a sign, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So if it happens any other way, if it happens any other way, if it's not a virgin birth, right, what happens? It undermines the credibility of scripture. You know, God said it would happen by way of a virgin birth. So if it doesn't happen by a virgin birth, we've undermined scripture. Scripture, we, we can't rely on it. It undermines the credibility of word. He, his words, he said so, plain and simple. So, so to take, take it out, uh, uh, the virgin birth is to question God at his word, okay? 
this is the way God said it would happen. That's how it has to happen. But, okay, that aside now, that was an aside. Why does the virgin birth necessarily have to happen? Why does the virgin birth necessarily have to happen? Anyone have a guess on that? We're not, because like you said, we're all going to be tainted through the bloodlines of Adam mm -hmm. uh, without with the virgin birth. There is no taint, no taint anywhere. <laughs> there is really not part of. So you're saying that if, and let's see if I got you correctly here, this is a difficult question. I'm telling you right now, this is difficult. I'm, I'm going to tell you the answer, but you're saying that because Mary was a virgin, right. therefore she was untainted by sin? She's untainted. Well, no, she's untainted. Remember the problem. Remember the first problem or the, the second problem. The second problem is that every single human has been tainted by sin. Right. Okay. Human, not man, right? Huh? I think man is used in the sense of like all people. Uh-huh. You don't think you get the sin from the father and not the mother. You think you think you, either way, father or mother. Adam is the source of the sin. Remember what we said. Remember that Adam was our federal representative. Adam passed the sin to us, not genetically, but as our federal head. Okay, hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. Mm -hmm. Not by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. We have to have both. Yes. This is why we have these two things together. Virgin birth conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So, you have to have them both. Okay, listen to this. The, how do we get around this? The Holy Spirit came upon her, a virgin. Okay, and he conceived in her body uh, the one they would call Emmanuel, God with us. And do we see what that does? I know you've heard, we, we've talked about this a number of times, fully God, fully man, right? How do you do that? by a conception of the Holy Spirit and birth to the Virgin Mary. That's how you do it, fully God, fully man. So why, why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? I'm gonna give you a true or false question. Well, actually, we kind of already covered this. It had, to be a it had to be a virgin, so Jesus would come into the world through a pure vessel. I'm just gonna tell you now, that's false. That's false, okay? Remember what we've already said, everyone has the sin of Adam. That's been passed to everyone, even Mary. And this is where Protestants and Catholics would get into a fist fight right here. Okay. Uh, have, have, you heard the, have you ever heard the term the immaculate conception? You heard that phrase? Okay. Many people in Protestant circles get this confused and think it refers to the way that Jesus was con, uh, conceived. It is not. That is not it. Okay. The immaculate conception is a Catholic doctrine referring to the way that Mary was conceived. Okay, she was conceived without sin is what that doctrine, that Catholic doctrine holds to. Mary was conceived without sin. That's what's called the Immaculate Conception. The only problem with that doctrine is that it's not in the Bible, <laughs> which is kind of a big, big problem. Mary, just like you and I, according to David and Paul, was conceived in sin. Okay, so why does the Lord need to use a virgin? The Lord used a virgin to carry the Savior not to have a pure vessel for the Lord, rather, more simply, he used a virgin to show, to display, to prove that it was God and not man, okay? Let there be no doubt that it was God because this woman has never been with a man once. Jesus was without a biological father. 
Can you think of anyone else who is without a biological father? Adam. Adam. Okay? Remember I asked you to think about how Adam points us to Jesus. Jesus finds his parallel in Adam who didn't have a father. Not a biological father, right? How was Adam made? Was it through human DNA? God breathed into the dust and Adam was born, right? You see, if, if, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, if he, was, if, he, if he was born to a married woman who already had three kids, right? Uh, then do you see the doubt that it casts on the Savior? Who's really the dad? Well, so what? So, so he has a human dad. If he has a human dad, then the gospel crumbles. The gospel crumbles. If Jesus has a human dad, the sin of Adam is imputed to Jesus. You see that? See that? So the virgin birth tells us that he doesn't have a human father and also tells us that the conception happened by way of the Holy Spirit, who, like Adam, wasn't formed from human DNA. Rather, he was formed from the touch of the divine, God himself. And because this is how, uh, how Jesus was formed, too, by way of a touch from the divine, he doesn't get the sin of Adam. He is exempt from the sin of Adam. It's not imputed to him because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, all right? This is why the scriptures refer to Jesus as the second Adam. Have you ever heard of Jesus referred to as the second Adam in the scriptures or a new and better Adam? This is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 45 and following. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 45 and following. Thus it is written, 15, 45 to 49. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, came... Uh, uh, excuse me, Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are all those who are of the dust. And just as the man of heaven, so, are, so also are all those who are of heaven. Just as we have born in the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Here's what that's saying. And that's kind of a, a lot there. Although, this is what he's saying. Although Adam uh, came first, just like we were saying before, he was only a pointer. He was only a pointer to what would be fulfilled in Jesus. Adam, Adam showed us our problem. The second Adam did as the first Adam should have done. Okay, Adam lived with, with reference to us as our federal representative, but the second Adam also lived with reference to us as our federal representative. We got Adam's sin imputed to us. How is that fixed? The second Adam imputes his righteousness to us. They, they run parallels. Adam, the two Adams run parallel. And because Jesus was conceived with the Holy Spirit and not Adam, it had to be the Holy Spirit since it was a virgin. Original sin is circumvented and Jesus is born without sin. We need that perfect sacrifice. We need a, a sacrifice without blemish. And, and, it's, and it's like we're starting over. It's, it's, uh, if I can say that, it's, it's like a second birth. Jesus, here we go. This is Christmas. Jesus came into the world, God incarnate without sin. This is the first time that happened since Cain. You realize that? Can you wrap your mind around that? So when you think about Christmas this year, think about that that Jesus' birth wasn't just it was the birth of a good guy or a guy that would even die for our sins. Yes, all those things. But listen, it was the first man born without that 
sin imputed to him. It was, that was the first one born that way since Cain. Since Cain. It's a miracle. And so Jesus was born without sin and lived without sin. And not only did he live without sin, but he lived righteously and did everything that Adam should have done and didn't do. And then that was the record that he passed on to you. And with that, I tell you, Merry Christmas. It's a Christmas gift like no other. And that's all I wanted to say about that. Any, any questions or comments or thoughts? Because I know that's a lot, and sometimes it may not be completely clear, but what are your, your thoughts and questions and comments? And Sean, go ahead. I'm thinking like Jesus was fully God and fully man. Mm-hmm. But we're saying, like when I said human condition, I think I may have erred because sin isn't a human condition. It's not the way we originally designed. It's imputed to you. Yes. It's, imputed through Adam. It's part of our experience, but it's not the intentional. Yes. Design. And think about this. Holy man mm-hmm. was not imputed with that. That's right. Because again, think about this. Um, when we talk about original sin, okay? Remember, Adam is your federal representative. Who, In the mechanics of the garden uh, of, with the first sin, you can make the argument that, what, well, didn't Eve sin first, right? But who, who's, who's ultimately pointed at for the blame? Adam, because he was your federal, he represented you, he represented humanity, okay? So that was, that was how sin was passed, it was passed, but you're right. It was not a condition that was given to, to Adam. It was, it was imputed to us through Adam. And so this, by the same math, by the same process, Jesus did not receive that original sin, was not a federal represented by, by Adam. Uh, instead, he was again, created almost in the same manner. If I could use the word created, Jesus was not created, right? He was brought about, he was given life in the same manner that, that Adam was given life through the Holy Spirit, breathed into him. And so that is why Jesus didn't have that sin imputed to him. And he could live with reference to us as a perfect human. Make sense? Yeah, please, big, big point there. Jesus was not created. <laughs> he was not created, he's eternal. <laughs> Someone else, any thoughts, comments, questions? Anyone online, if you uh, have a question, you can just say yes, and I will call on you. That was a tip that Mike gave me some time ago. Say yes, and I will wait for you to type out your question or unmute you or something. Anyone else, questions, comments? All right. If there are none, let me bid you a happy holidays and a Merry Christmas. And again, think about that. Think about all the components of Christmas. Yes, it was a baby born in a manger. Yes, that baby went on to to die for your sins. But just think about the miracle itself. God incarnate and the things that had to happen for that to be possible, for God to be able to come into the world perfectly and how sin had to be circumvented by the Holy Spirit and then verified, you know, proven through the birth of a virgin. That's amazing. That is really amazing. And I hope you, uh, you find that amazing too. All right. Uh, let me close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, once again, we thank you for your word and we thank you uh, for the miracle. I thank you that we can rejoice over, over some of the small details that sometimes maybe pass us by. So Father, I thank you. I thank you for the miracle that you bypassed the sin of Adam and you took it upon yourself Uh, to give us a perfect representative that wasn't tainted by sin. And that was the only way, that was the only way that we could have redemption. So Father, I thank you for that. And I thank you that you gave us uh, sufficient order and proof 
to be able to look at it and rejoice and know that it's true and, uh, and celebrate that even, uh, even now, uh, whether it's uh, December 25th or April 23rd. We can celebrate that and appreciate that any time of the year. Uh, thanks be to you. Go with us now. Uh, help us to carry this word uh, from your word, uh, carry it forth, and help us to be infectious about what we believe, uh, that we can't help but tell people about these kinds of things and, and uh, rejoice and, and, uh, and expand your church. Uh, we thank you for it. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you all for joining me. We'll see you people online. All right. Thank you. <laughs>